Hey fellow brain pickers, how would you like to get featured as a guest on multiple podcast shows like this one and get massive exposure? Getfeatured.media will get you featured on targeted shows. They'll design a custom bio page, pitch you to the hosts, schedule a time, prepare you for the shows and promote you so you get even more brand exposure. Head over to getfeatured.media to get major publicity for your brand. Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hi, fellow brain pickers, and welcome to episode 55 of Can I Pick Your Brain. My guest today was adopted at seven, dropped out of school in eighth grade, did two years in prison at age 19, got hooked on drugs, had a seizure and died, got shocked back to life, became a millionaire, went back to prison at 26, got out of prison, became one of the top loan officers in America, lost his license, became homeless, started selling online at age 33, became a multi-millionaire. Ryan Stuman, otherwise known as the Hardcore Closer, is today a best-selling author, speaker, consultant, entrepreneur, podcaster, husband, and loving father to two little boys. He has one hell of a story. So without further ado, Ryan, welcome to the show and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Man, I'm excited to be here. That's I've done a lot of these podcasts uh, <clears throat> a lot over the years and that's that's the best intro I have ever had. You know, I'm sorry for maybe somebody else that's heard me before saying that, but I mean, you you really took the time to like break it down. I'm sitting here listening to it. I'm like, ah, man, it sounds like, oh, wait, he's talking about me. <laughs> so I, I dig it, man. Uh, I appreciate that a lot, man. That uh, that shows that you actually, you know, have gone and you know, you come on podcasts sometimes and people haven't even really done their their research. They just like, oh, I saw your website and asked you to come on type of thing. So right. it's really cool to see that that you actually dug into my story, man. As crazy as that sounds. I appreciate that. But I was sitting on the edge of my seat listening to myself give over that intro. That's insane. <laughs> it does sound crazy when you put it that way. I remember in 2005, they gave me something called a PSA, a, a PSR, pre-trial sentencing report. And before you go to federal prison and before you go to pro- trial, they give a, like a pre-trial assessment. That's what it is, a PT, mm-hmm. PTA anyway. So okay. pre-trial assessment. And I was reading it and it was saying pretty much everything. Well, at least some, some of it hadn't happened yet of what you were just saying. And I was like, man, they make me out to sound like such a bad guy. I'm not really that bad. <laughs> but then hearing you repeat all that, I'm like, dude, I really have been through hell and back. Man, how am I even here? <laughs> That's brilliant. But now that we've got pretty much the overall picture of your life, can we, let's fill in the gaps. Um, so I want to go, I want to start early on. I want to go back to when you were seven. Um, and you got adopted. What what happened? Why were you adopted at seven years old? Well, it was uh, it worked like this. So my my mom, my mother and father, they uh, they got a divorce. I don't know exactly what happened. I was young, and I uh, I lived with my mom for a couple of years, and then she. And my uh, father, something else happened. You know, you're a little kid. They keep you in the dark, right? And I don't talk yeah. to my family now, so I don't really know. Uh, but for whatever reason, my stepfather, uh, the guy that married my mother, 
ended up uh, adopting me because I think it had something to do with child support. Like maybe my dad owes child support or whatever. I, I don't know the exact story, and I've never mm-hmm. – due to my years in prison and stuff, I really don't dig in people's business too much, you know. But but it's something to that tune. Like my, my father owed my mom a bunch of child support. He couldn't pay it, so he like gave up his rights to me so that my stepdad adopted me. I changed my last name. We moved to a whole new city. So it was like pretty crazy for a youngster. I have, I have two little guys now. I couldn't uh, – I couldn't imagine what that's that's kind of like for him. So, uh, but you know, the the weird thing for me is we had to move to another city because we lived in this small town. And it's like one year I was in the let's say the first grade or whatever it was, or second grade, and and I'm Ryan Russell McCord. And then like the next year I go back to school. I'm the same dude. I live in the same house and the same <laughs> kid. But I'm like Ryan Keith Stuman. They're like what? They're calling my name out, and everybody just kind of looks at me in the class. I'm like I'll explain at recess, kind of a thing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And so I guess between the ages of what seven and uh, and nineteen, nineteen, you you got a two year j- uh, jail sentence. What can you talk us through? What happened? I mean, it must have. Was it like? Did you go down um, into the? Did you, first of all, ha- why did you go to jail? What was the first sentence for? Because I know you have you had two separate sentences. What was the first one for? Well, so the the first one was for drugs. I uh, I had like maybe $200 worth of cocaine, not, not a whole lot, you know, like to mm-hmm. us, $200 is nothing and drugs is drugs, but I'm saying $200 is nothing. But apparently they take that really serious when you're a cop. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. Like, uh, I had a couple hundred dollars worth of cocaine. So and that was at 19. So it, did it, did it start off at an early age that you kind of were rebelling? Cause you know, you got kicked, you basically left in the eighth grade. What was going through your mind? And I guess, why did you go down that path? Well, I, I I never I never really uh, got along with my family too much. I ran away from home all the time, mm-hmm. and like at least once a month, I would say. And even sometimes when I didn't have anywhere to go, I just wanted to get out of there. I, they just drove me nuts. I didn't like them. I didn't like the the my stepfather's rules, and and you know that I just didn't like it. And so I would run away a lot. And then finally, in the eighth grade. Eighth grade was not the the grade that I left, just to be clear. So I graduated the eighth grade. I, I went to the ninth grade and I finished the year, but I didn't pass the grade. Okay. And so they sent me back to the ninth grade again. And by that time I was 17 in the ninth grade, and I was, or I was 16 in the ninth grade. And I'm like, dude, I'm just going to quit uh, mm-hmm. school. And as soon as I turn and I'll just like avoid the school board for, you know, a few months. And then as soon as I turn 17, I go get my GED. <clears throat> so the eighth grade was the last last grade that like I, I actually completed. Uh, but I, I went to high school for a couple years and I even had to go to court and stuff like that for skipping school because I was just like, I stayed out of school until I could go get my GD and they tried to force me to go back and, and all this stuff. But I, I didn't like school and I, I didn't like home because I didn't feel like anybody understood me. And, you know, come to find out a lot of entrepreneurs and, and, you know, uh, high productivity people feel that way. But, uh, you know, with all the, the things going on in my life, the, the, you know, mom with the new uh, marriage and then being adopted and moving to a new city. And then we moved within that city two or three times, which meant I had to go to two or three different schools because it wasn't like a small city. So, you know, it was like, I never really had a good set of friends. I never really had, and, and I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying that I was always trying to run away and just start my own life so that I could be in control of everything. Well, when I turned seven, I got my GED and I had a buddy who was already 18. I, uh, I got him to sign a lease on an apartment and put it in his name because you had to be 18 to get the apartment lease in your name. And then he and I lived together as roommates. Well, 
uh, I lost my job due to being hung over and not showing up at work one day. <laughs> and uh, I had always sold a little, a, a little drugs on the side or whatever, just kind of pay the extra bills for going out on Friday nights or whatever. Yeah. But I decided for whatever reason that I would go all in. So I spent a few months selling uh, cocaine. Not, not wasn't like a long stint of my life or anything like that. I've been around drug dealers and stuff forever. So I didn't really want to get caught up in it. Coincidentally, that's what happened. Uh-huh. But <clears throat> you know, I spent, um, you know, months, when I, I, I thought, well, you know what, if I was making five, $600 a week on my job, I can make that in a day and then not have to work the rest of the week. So it's not like I really set out to be like the Tony Montana of, you know, <laughs> cocaine sales in North Texas. But, you know, it was the first time somebody had offered me like a side hustle. Mm-hmm. Nobody had ever said, hey, what if I could teach you affiliate marketing or, hey, what if I could teach you how to write a book and you could sell it? Or what if I could teach you how to go to garage sales and buy shit and then turn around and sell it on eBay? Like nobody ever told me anything like that. The first thing they said was like, hey, man, you know anybody who likes cocaine? And I'm like, yeah, I know a few people could make some money from that. All right. I'm all ears. Right. Because I didn't wow. know. And <clears throat> blame it on the eighth grade education. Right. Yeah. And so like I knew it, I, I, I knew it wasn't legal and i knew it wasn't an ethical thing to do but i didn't know anything better or another alternative that's why i did it right? i'm not trying to justify it it's absolutely wrong but at the same time i'm just letting you know like the mentality of why i went down that path i don't think anybody wakes up and says you know what i want to aspire to be a coke dealer today if i could just make my goals come true it would be lots of the white stuff in the hands of the youngsters i just don't think that's that's what happens right. like you look up one day and you're like dude i lost my job i'm selling drugs how did i wind up here right and for me, it was, I lost my job. I wound up selling drugs. I tried the drugs once. I overdosed or I was allergic or whatever happened from the drugs. I end up going to prison. And it's like a bad episode of Breaking Bad. I look back at age 20 because I got arrested for the charge at 19. They sentenced me at age 20. I'm sitting in jail in November of 2000 in a Texas maximum security prison. And I'm like, how did I get here? Like just a, just like a, a less than a year ago. I was like a normal dude that was like leaving home, blazing my own path in the world. And I had a job and now, dude, I'm over here doing like slave work on a like a huge slave farm called, that they call a penitentiary because that's exactly what it is. We were doing slave work. We were picking cotton. We were picking vegetables. We were, were doing things that they have machines that do these days that they were making us do as manual labor. That's what it, that's what it is, you know, and <clears> – <throat> What's it, going through your it was mind? Like that moment of like, how'd I get there? You know, Brian. What what's going over those two years? What's going on your what's what's on your mind throughout those two years? What what's constantly playing on your mind? Are you thinking about how you're going to change your life around when you get out, and how you're going to aspire for better life? What are you thinking? While I'm in there, I thought that that meant that's who I was, and and let me elaborate. My thinking was. I, I wanted something. I wanted nice things. I was going to use cocaine sales to get me nice things. And then I got in trouble. So my interpretation for a 20 year old was that I'm not supposed to have nice things. And so I actually went out into the workforce just saying, Hey, I just want a job, you know, just somebody that'll give me a job. I'll show up. I'll be the most loyal person. And because I have a felony, I'll be lucky to get a job. And I just got a job working for my stepdad at the car wash. But my whole time in there was like, hey, when I get out, nothing flashy, dumb it down. If I can live in here and wear the same uniform every day amongst all these crazy people, then I can uh, assure uh, I can tune my life, tone my life down when I get out and go without things. So I thought that it meant that I couldn't have success. I didn't really equate that I was 
chasing the success and channeling the energy obviously into the wrong venture right so at 22 you come out of jail you've got a negative mindset <clears throat> you basically think that you're going to be one of these guys that go through life with a, just a regular job you know lay low what happens what happens next well so i get out i go to work at the car wash for my stepdad and i i I can't help it. I am like, I want to be the best at anything that I do. I'm just competitive by nature mm -hmm. and I'm not a sports guy, but I just like winning and you know, whether it be in business or sales or whatever. And it, when I was in, uh, I, when I got out of prison, I went to the car wash and I became number one. Matter of fact, when I was in prison and I was picking vegetables, I was there a week, Daniel, and I was picking <laughs> vegetables and I was so good at picking vegetables and so efficient that they gave me a job driving a tractor and then three <laughs> inmates beat the shit out of me back oh, in the man. pod because they thought I snitched in order to get the job driving the tractor. Right? Oh, they didn't believe goodness. that my work ethic or whatever got, I'm like, told, had to go back and tell the guards like, y'all got me in the jam. I can't take this job. It was a, a weird thing. So I got out the same thing kicked in that natural instinct to be number one at the car wash. And I did, I became really good at washing cars and selling car washes and managing car washes and managing multiple uh, car washes. So I had proven results. And one of the regular customers, just like a lady that just washed her car. I did not know her. I did not talk to her. We were not friends. She was just like random. She was not attracted to me. She wasn't coming on to me. We didn't have anything like that. She's just one day says, you know what? You should come work for me. And uh, we're just sitting up there talking, you know, at the front of the lot waiting on her car. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh yeah, lady, what do you do? And she's like, uh, well, you know, I'm a mortgage broker. So you wouldn't want me working for you. I spent the last two years of my life in prison. Uh, that truck over there, the beat up one, the piece of shit. Yeah, that one's mine. <laughs> I'll own it for cash. I don't even have a credit card. Like, what would you want me dealing with bank money for? She goes, we all got to start somewhere. Wow. She goes, but I guarantee I can make you rich. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, lady. Can I get $5 tip? You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. And oh, she had man. a nice car and stuff. Well, as luck would have it, as, as the story goes, the next day, the owner of the car wash shows up for the first time in two years that he's been to that location. And he's on a, maybe his wife pissed him off that morning or whatever, but he's on a, he's on a rampage. He mm -hmm. came up there looking for trouble <laughs> and he found it with me and we got into an argument and I ended up throwing the keys at him and told him he could have a stupid car wash. I go work for the competition or whatever. <laughs> and that night I thought, man, I really hate working at the car wash. It's a lot of work and I really don't like it. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna call this lady. She said she can make me rich. And it was the first time in my life that I had taken a commission only job. Now I have always had jobs that commission was involved. The car wash, they paid commission, they paid bonus. But this was the first time where there was like no hourly, no nothing. It was just like, you get, you get to eat what you kill, buddy. How about it? Right. Sell and or die, basically. It was scary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was totally scary. But I, but you know, I, uh, my girlfriend at the time, she's like, well, you were only making $9 an hour plus like 200 extra dollars a week in commission. So it's not like you were getting rich over there. What's the worst case scenario? You try this, you fail at it. We can collect like, you know, social security if we have to for a little while, or I can go get a job stripping or like she was down, you know, to, to make <laughs> it happen. And, uh, and so I was like, Hey, I guess we got nothing to lose. So I showed up at, at the morgue. I called her up from the business card and she's like, yeah, you're hired. Just come in, fill out the paperwork tomorrow. And I showed up at the mortgage bank dressed like I work for a car wash. I thought I was dressed fancy. 
You know, I had my boots and my jeans on, and I look like every other convict that comes straight out of prison for two years of their life. And uh, they, there was there was a couple of gay dudes that were working there. They end up taking me and teaching me all the different stuff for the business and everything. We can't, we still are really good friends. But they, like, as soon as I showed up, I remember the two. And this is the first time that I had ever really outside of prison met somebody who was gay. And they were both looking at me. They're like, first thing we're gonna do with your paycheck, homeboy, is we're gonna get you some clothes, man. They were, like all laughing at me and everything. <laughs> And, and I didn't like it, it was just a whole weird thing because I had never been around people that, that like dress nice like them and had slacks on and all this stuff. I've just shown up in, you know, some jeans and boots and a nice little Wrangler button up flannel and I was ready to roll. Shoot, they send me to the mortgage school. Where is it at? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So then what happens? You become the well, top, so, you become the top mortgage um, uh, loan officer in America. Well, I, I didn't become the top uh, loan officer in America. I was one of the top. I was definitely top 1%. And, and I'll explain what happened is uh, in 2003, when I took that job with them, uh, that weekend, so like let's say on a Thursday, she's like, you're hired. Friday, I come to work. They laugh at me, and I got the weekend to think about it. Well, working at the car wash, I was usually working on the weekends because Saturday and Sunday is when people wash their cars, right? And so I had the, for the first time in like my adult life, a Saturday and Sunday off, or at least since I OD'd on cocaine, I had a Saturday and Sunday off because you worked mm -hmm. in prison every day of the week. Right. And so I go and I have this Saturday and Sunday off and I go over to my friend's house and they're watching, I still remember Michigan versus Ohio State. And I've got these two friends, one of them's families from Michigan, one of them's from Ohio. They get together and then they talk smack to each other for four hours during the game and get drunk. <laughs> and it, it's been a tradition. They still do it now. They were right. just there a couple of weeks ago. But I'm sitting down with my friend's parents and she's like, what's new in your life? I'm the only one of them that's always had a steady job. She knows I've been to prison, but she, you know, she knows I'm a nice guy or whatever. And, and uh, she says, what's new in your life? And... Uh, I explained to her, it's like, oh, I got this new job and I'm doing mortgages. It's like, you guys lived here forever. You ever think about refinancing your house? She's like, well, what does that mean? It's like, I don't know, but that's what they told me to say. <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know. I'm just learning. And I was like, but these people, they say they can save all sorts of money and it's totally legit and legal. And I've got a license that I'm working on and everything. Like, why don't you just let me put you in touch with the lady and see, see if maybe they can help you guys out. And she goes, well, I'll let you in on a secret. We filed for bankruptcy and... Uh, it, I'm not sure that we're able to do. She had like, it, maybe it wasn't bankruptcy, but it was something that that had happened that yeah. that had put them in a position where they were scared. And I was like, ah, well, let me just see. I don't know what that even means. And I plugged <laughs> them in with the broker that Monday because this was on a Saturday, college football, right? On a Monday, yep. I plug them in with the broker. And like Wednesday, the broker hits me back. She's like, oh yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna work on that. We'll get it done next week, and we'll pay you. Good job on that one. And I'm like. Okay, cool, man. Maybe I'll make like 500 bucks or something, right? Like that would have been a, that would have been a big paycheck to me at the time. Hmm. But instead they gave me a paycheck for $6,800. Wow. And I was like, like two weeks later and I was like, what? Wow. I earned this from that conversation. And I've been washing cars this whole time. Dude, I was so mad at myself from that moment, <laughs> but it motivated me. And then I, I literally, my, my brain went into who do you know mode. Right. Because I had seen it happen. I seen that it was legit. I seen that it was possible. My brain immediately went into who do you know mode. And so I called the landscaper that did the uh, the mode at the car washes because right before I quit. Remember, this hadn't even been a week yet. Right before I quit, he told me he and his wife were looking for a home. And so I called them up, 
told him I quit the car wash and that I would help him get a home. And then I had like two weeks, two weeks had passed by. I said, I had already helped these other people. And I was like, I made $7,000. I'll make 14 on, on your deal. And I'll give you seven of it back. And like, wow. he was like, oh yeah. Cause we've been buddies for forever. He'd been mowing the yard for, for years over there at the car wash. They bought like an $800,000 home. So again, I made like $16,000 and I give him like five grand back to build shutters on his house and all that. Now I'm like, literally within a month, I have like $15,000 on my hands. I'd never had that kind of money not selling drugs obviously i was a terrible drug dealer hence the <laughs> prison sentence but never never doing the car washes never a christmas bonus never a lottery ticket never anything like that and i'm like wow like this is just this, this is like something straight out of a movie and uh, i was addicted you know from that point i worked harder than everybody else uh the the two uh, gay guys i referenced they said, you know, they, they taught me the places to go get leads. They had well-established business. They had, a, they had a way big built-up book of business and totally established business. And they taught me how to go out and prospect new leads. Well, they didn't tell me to go door knocking. They didn't tell me to go uh, make cold calls, which I would do those things eventually anyway. But what they did was they gave me some CDs of this dude named uh, David, David Allen. Robert Allen. Robert Allen. Okay. And so it was like this Robert Allen, no money down, well, real estate. And they're like, learn this stuff and you need to work with investors. And I'm like, okay, okay. Yeah, whatever, man. So I go listen to these DVDs or CDs or whatever they, maybe they were cassette tapes. This is a long time ago, but whatever they were. And I was like blown away. I'm like, wow, these guys are talking million dollar months and all this <laughs> stuff, like making all this money. But I, I learned it. And uh, so I would show up to like, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, this like, hey, this Saturday yeah. at the Hilton Hotel, come to the free Robert Kiyosaki <laughs> Rich Dad Work Dad shop. And, <laughs> and, you know, they have all those infomercials. Dude, I showed up at every one of those things. Anytime wow. there was a real estate infomercial on TV, I showed up at the event and then I would go to the back of the room and all the people that signed up, I'd make a mental note of who they were. I'd wait out in the hallway for them. And when they came out of the room, I'd be like, hey, man, you're going to need money to buy those houses. I'm the bank. I got you. And I would talk to them about how I could hook them up and help them invest in properties. And I had already taken Robert's course. So I was like educated in what to say. Look, most of these people were rookies. So they would come to me and I would help them buy five or six properties with them and their family and help them turn them into residual because through the other program, they would turn them into like residual income and stuff like that. And dude, I was doing a ton of loans. Uh, I got to the point where I own like 30 houses because I'm like, dude, well, I'm all making everybody else's money. I'm going to start buying houses too. I know how to get loans. <laughs> oh my and goodness. Dude, I mean, it, it, but it escalated way too quick because I had no idea what to do with the money. So you and, became, one second, so, so Ryan, rich. You became, it was just that I was a stupid young punk that had a few extra dollars and I didn't know what in the world to do with it, you know? But you, bec you became a millionaire from that? Yeah, from flipping houses. Yeah, absolutely. So check this out. This is how I did it. I would charge, man, I would do hundreds of transactions a month. This was 2005. This shit is completely illegal nowadays, <laughs> right. but it was completely legal back then. Cause you remember in 2005, they had stated income loans. They had mm -hmm. no income loans. You could just go fill out a piece of paper. They would give you $300,000 for having an ID. I kid you not. Right. No, and I know. So our job was to find as many people that needed $300,000 as possible. It's like, Hey, you need to find people to give money to. It's free. <laughs> they can have it. The interest rates are low and you need to get rid of all of it. And that's what, uh, you know, the American economy was doing at the time. So, you know, I would hook these people up, but what I would do is there would be 50 to a hundred people every single month come to me and I would fill out their paperwork for them. So they would go through the Robert, I got them through the Robert Allen and Robert Kurosaki classes, you know, meeting and networking with them over the years, they would go and they would put a contract on a house, but instead of paying a realtor 6% or instead of paying 
a loan officer, like 3% to look at it, I would make sure, cause I knew how to do it. I would make sure all their contracts and everything that they had signed was in order. And then they would just pay me a consulting fee and I would make $2,500 and it took me about 30 minutes to look at it with them. And they would send me hundreds a month on top of doing loans on top of flipping houses. The next thing you know, I have a million dollar net worth. What? It's pretty close. It was like $770,000. We'll just round it up because I really didn't make a million until this year and in the 12 months. But I had, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of uh, uh, loans on homes, but I definitely had a million dollars in equity and everything else. But my earnings for the year was like 770 something uh, in 2005. And, and I had a nice house that I lived in, I had several cars and the cops thought I was selling drugs. Mm. And they, they obtained a warrant based on my background and oh, no. kicked in my door. And the crazy thing is I wasn't even home, Daniel. I was in Mexico. I wasn't even home. And so all this is going on and I'm in like a family vacation in Mexico on a cruise. And Monday I get, I land there in Galveston like Monday morning in the mm -hmm. cruise ship. And then I'm driving back about Monday, about three o'clock. I finally arrived from Galveston to Dallas and pull into my neighborhood and there's like cops everywhere. I live in about a half a million dollar house or so and right. there's like cops <laughs> everywhere. And I'm like, man, something happened to my roommate. Something must have been wrong with him. So like I rush up to the house to check it out. I'm like, hey, what's going on? They're like, there he is, get him. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> what, what happened? It wasn't me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like, oh no, 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 that wasn't me. I thought maybe somebody killed my roommate or something while I was out of town. Like, I, I don't, maybe OD'd in the car. I, I thought, I didn't realize it was all these cops there. I thought it was like the ambulance or something like that. I didn't realize it was the damn SWAT team. Mm -hmm. And so they arrested me. And what's crazy is they like uh, took me to this room and they were like, we got you on file stealing credit cards and blah, blah, blah. I'm stealing credit cards. I said, still to this day, like at this time in my life, 2005, I didn't have a credit card. Hmm. And I, I, I used a debit card and that was, I was like, you didn't catch me stealing anything. Right. And so they take me in this room. They got the FBI in there, man. The FBI no is way. just like a scene from CSI. I kid you not. There's like the desk and the table and I'm all alone. There's like the one-sided window. Oh, and the man. dude comes out and he's like, boom, slams his paper down. We got you right here. And I open it up or I pull it over to me and I look at it. And it's a picture of one of the dudes that rents one of my houses. And the dude's name's Richard. And what he, I don't know the guy from Adam. He's just a tenant. But what he's done is he's, since that house is in my name, he got the internet hooked up in my name. So, you know, he's an identity theft first oh, person. No. So he stole my personal identity with the Time Warner account that he set up. And then he was going and getting people's credit card numbers online. Oh, no. And then he was, uh, I guess, using them or whatever. Well, they had him on picture using one of the credit cards that he ordered through the mail at 7-Eleven. I was like, it wasn't me, man. Look, that's not even me. That dude's got long hair. I didn't cut my hair. You can, you can like, anybody's <laughs> got a phone picture of me on their cell phone or whatever. I'm going to cut my hair that can take you to this dude though and so that's what i did i like took him to the dude I was like here's where he lives like you guys didn't just knock on his door what in the hell are you doing at my house so they let me out a day later they came back and they charged me with possession of a firearm oh and uh so after kicking in my door the wrong person thinking first of all they had a warrant for drugs there were no drugs in my house and then they tried to put me, they put me in the room. They tried to keep me in jail for a crime that I didn't commit. And then finally they charged me with a gun. Well, I beat the gun charge because it had nothing to do with them. And in Texas, you can, if, even if you're a felon, you have the rights to uh, own a pistol in your house. And, and I wasn't like out driving with it. It was in my nightstand in my bedroom. I don't have any kids or anything like that at the time. So everything was legal. I beat the case and the bastards turned me over to the ATF. And so it works like this in Colorado. Mm -hmm. If you, 
if you have marijuana, a bunch of it, and the police pull you over, you can say, well, I'm headed to the dispensary to make a deposit and they'll let you go. Maybe even have a license. <laughs> if the DEA pulls you over in Colorado, you go to prison, right? That stuff's still not federally legal. Right. And, uh, and I know they're getting a lot more lax on it now, but that's just, there's, there's an exception to the rule and with guns in Texas, the same way Texas says, if you're a felon, you can own a gun. They don't care. But it, the ATF says that we don't agree with that. And so what happens was I beat the case and the DA turned me into the ATF as a favor and they picked my charge up. Well, nobody fights the federal government. They have a 97% success rate when it comes to trials. And the rule is they offer you something small. And if you take them to trial, they leave you locked up forever. Oh, Look man. at guys like uh, Bernie's, Bernie Madoff. They tried to you know settle for 25 years. Now he's got 190 or whatever because oh. he went to court. And so I didn't want to fight that. So they were going to give me 25 years, Daniel. No the deal way. Table. Are you kidding me? 25 years and it was like some complete from like this story is nuts right it's like complete from accident that i'm even here and y'all want to stick me in here for 25 years in a box I offered them five hundred thousand dollars what i'm like i pay i did i was like i can pay ten thousand dollars a month and i put this whole plan together for them to where i could give them five hundred thousand dollars as a as a fine cash money they were like nope that's like, of course, that's nothing to the federal government. But to me, it seemed like, you know, hey, even though I didn't do anything, let me give you this money to get the hell out of this situation. And they turned it down and they said they want to give me 25 years. Oh, my Lord. But I kid you not. Right. My life is uh, been interesting. I, I always embrace everybody, man. I got friends of all races, cultures, backgrounds, everything else. Just this story is uh, really, really cool because I hired a black dude as my attorney. And uh, cool guy, man. He was in. He, he worked out of South Dallas. I really liked him. He was like a very intimidating person. I wanted him to go into court and be able to scare him into signing a deal, right? I was like, this mm. dude's fucking awesome. And so sorry, I got a little excited. So that I take the guy to uh, lunch. We meet. We end up signing up. We become good friends. I refinance his house while I'm out on bail, <laughs> and, and you know his wife owns a title company. I'm sending him uh, business, and we just become really good friends. He's a cool dude, and and we just got along really well. We got to hang out and go to court together and stuff anyway. So we end up you know doing business together, and because uh, he knows I'm not a stupid criminal, he's read all the paperwork, knows the story and everything else, and he's trying to help me out in the situation. Mm -hmm. Well, they've got this 25 year deal on the table and he's like, man, we're not taking it. We're going to have to go to court. You got nothing to lose at this point. And he's like, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to take your money and I don't want to have to go through all this. He's like, this is totally crazy. But he's like, I'm running for district attorney of Dallas County. If I get that, I'll make a deal with you. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Who, like, this should be real. A black man that's a Democrat running for district attorney in Dallas County would be the first time in history that those three things had ever happened. There's never been a Democrat. There's <laughs> right. never been a black man. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. <laughs> he won. He no. won. He became hey. district attorney, the first black dude, the first Democrat. Like, he became the first black Democratic DA ever in the history of Dallas County. Still today, they haven't elected another one since. Holy and smokes. That, that guy got elected for $300. The other dude spent 300 grand on his election and my boy got in for 300 bucks. Grassroots, man. They Seriously. put in work. Wow. So he made him a deal. They had some guys locked up in Dallas County that the other DA, I guess, was bitching about, right? You know, it's like, hey, you can't have these. This is our case. You know how it uh -huh. is in the cop movies or whatever. Yeah. I don't know the whole story. But he made a deal. He's like, I'll let these guys go if you let. And he had a list of us clients that he thought were good people that shouldn't be locked up. And mm -hmm. I was one of them. And uh, they reduced my sentence to 15 months. 
uh, on his recommendation because now all of a sudden he wasn't a criminal defense attorney. He was the district attorney of Dallas County, the second biggest county in the entire state. He has weight. And so on his recommendation, they gave me a 15-month sentence at a, uh, a medium security or minimum security, one of the two. I, wasn't, I was inside of a prison, a uh, mm-hmm. federal prison. I think they're called medium or minimum security, whatever. Hold on, so you federal lost – uh, one second, Ryan, I, like the, I've, got, I've got to stop oh, you go for ahead. a second. You lost, no, e- you lost everything. Several you, times. <laughs> you, 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 you literally – I can't. I, I'm like, you're going on, and, I, and the only reason I haven't said a word is because I'm just like, what the freak is this guy talking? This is insane, right? But I just have to stop you for a second because I'm just like – I mean, <laughs> how many times does a guy have to get kicked down – and screwed over and put away and beat to give up. Like most people listening to this, and I'm, I'm calling you out if you're listening to this, you have not, I guarantee you have not had the type of tough life and, and craziness that Ryan has had and look what he's done with it. It's just insane. It's just mad. And, and people are, are listening to this who are probably like waking up going, oh, I don't know what to do. Like, how do I make money? Or, or like, what like what kind of business should I do? Like, oh, my social media, I don't know how. Are you freaking listening to Ryan here? He's like, he went, he went through hell multiple times, crawled out of hell, built himself up, and then got put back into hell for no reason, could have come out angry, and, and, and wanted to just take revenge on the system, which I think most of us would want to do. But instead, you don't, right? You come out of jail, and what do you do? You build yourself up. You get married. You have children. You build a multi-million dollar business. You're an author. You're a podcaster. What the... F- like... <laughs> it's pretty nuts, man. You know, and... And we're only like really and truthfully like at the halfway point of this story. It gets a little bit darker before it gets lighter, you know. Holy and cow. So I've got this this whole deal where the, the feds have said, okay, fine, we'll give them 15 months. And I told you I'm competitive. I don't like to lose. So I feel like I'm fighting them, but I don't want to – I mean I don't want to fight the system because what if I wind up back in prison again because those guys will pull – we already know they're shady at this point, at least with me. So I don't want to fight them. I just want to prove that they don't d- define who I am. Right. The police, mm-hmm. the feds, those people that made those bad decisions, they they don't define who I am. I'm still going to prove that I'm worthy and that I'm a winner. So I get sentenced to 15 months in federal prison and they give you 60 days to get your affairs in order, they call it. And then you have to drive yourself to, or take a bus or they didn't have an Uber then. But, you know, <laughs> I guess people would Uber to federal prison now. It's strange. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I should ask somebody. Anybody ever Uber anybody to prison? <laughs> anyway, uh, so you have. 60 days to get your affairs in order. So I got married during those 60 days to the girlfriend that I'd had for three or four years. And so that she could manage my affairs. Well, Hey, I loved her, but I, so that she could manage my affairs and everything else. And, uh, while I was gone, I'm glad you added the, uh, two, I'm glad you added go, the bit about lo- loved her. Cause if she listens to this, she'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, uh, well, you know, I've, you'll hear the story. You'll see that I'm really not worried about her feelings too much. But so two days before jail, I am driving home from the – that I have to turn myself into jail. I'm driving home from the steakhouse, you know, having a nice like last supper before you go to prison, you know. And, mm-hmm. and uh, me and her get in an argument and we, we don't argue. 
like been together three years or so and we never really had an argument and uh it was a about her brother and some things that he was doing and long story short it was like you know it escalated quick she ended up hitting me in the face like here was the woman i've been with for three years and i uh you know never even had an argument with and all of a sudden she just hit me in the face with that rock that i put on her hand that cut my eye open i'm bleeding all over the place oh, and stuff man. in the car and uh you know she starts wailing on me again and hey i'm not saying i didn't bring it on but you know i'm driving the car and i'm getting hit every which way and stuff and and so i grabbed her her hand trying to keep her from hitting me and we get to the house and uh, that's that's the end of it i go sit in the backyard and i'm sitting here going what am i doing with my life man you know, I just got in a fight with the girl that I just married and turned in my whole estate into. So, you know, I don't even know what's going on in the house. I got 40 hours and I'll be turning myself into federal prison and I get a a knock on the door. She called the police on me, man. No way. And they arrested me for assault. Even though oh. I was bleeding, I had a black eye and she had nothing but a little bit of red stuff on her arm. But again, I'm a two-time felon at this point and she's this, you know, really hot blonde chick with a great story. <laughs> and I'm thinking, how did I wind up in this situation, Daniel? Like, you know, dude, I, I go to church on Sundays at this point in my life. I'm like, I'm going to church on Sunday. I'm, I'm not selling. I haven't sold a drug since still today, since 1999. I'm like, I keep trying to clean my life up. And these things keep happening to me. And I had to bail out of the city jail in order to make time to go to the federal prison. It, it was nuts. Wow. And in that that 40 hour period, I bailed myself out the next morning. And in that 40-hour period, she cleaned my entire house out. Turns out her and the landscape guy had like this thing going on. I didn't even oh, know. Oh, no. And so she'd been banging my gardener, right, this this whole time or whatever, cleans me out, takes all of our money, has everything in her name. And like I'm a week oh. into prison, and it's like, hey, man, we ain't together anymore. I'm with what's-his-name, so now you know all this makes sense. Start sending me like these – like not answering my calls, not putting money on my books, not paying the stuff that you're supposed to pay in prison. Wow. And, you know, dude, it was like a living hell. I had nothing, nothing. Everything I worked for, all those houses, all that other stuff was gone, liquidated, foreclosed on, not paid for. She just like took it all, took control. I got out of prison 15 months later with $900 cash that I had stashed somewhere oh, inside man. a filing cabinet at my parents' Whew. house. So you, you came out of jail now. At what age Homeless. are you? What what age are you? I was uh was two thousand and eight, so that would make me twenty nine. So you're twenty nine years old. You have sure. no money. You have what you said seven hundred dollars. What was it? Nine hundred dollars. Nine hundred dollars in cash. You have no home. Nothing. I mean, what what <laughs> what did you do? Well, I remember my stepdad. And I told you I didn't get along with my parents, and I've been running away from home for years. But when I was a kid, you know, mm-hmm. and I hadn't lived with them, you know, since then. And he picked me up from the train station, and he's like, you know, we're just not going to go through this again. We're going to let you live with us for a couple of months if you act out of line or whatever. But I'm just not going to go through this again. Okay. And I remember thinking it was his stupid gun that I got caught with. Hmm. It was, you know, I didn't ask for the gun. He's the one that brought it over and gave it to me as a gift. You need to protect your nice new, whatever. Anyway, so I'm thinking, you know, and they're in a house that was one of the houses that I bought and right. sold to them, right? Like, right. And so I'm thinking, man, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure what the definition of rock bottom was. I thought I hit it five years ago the first time, but apparently this is it. <laughs> okay. It's oh like, okay. So that was just like a false landing. This is rock bottom. Okay. I got it now. Thank you, universe, for showing me how much 
more shit you could shove my face in. And I was just like, you know, anybody else coming out of federal prison, you know, depressed, having to move in with my mama, basically, and and being told by my stepdad, who I didn't like, that, you know, this was my last chance and that everybody was really disappointed in me. And and not the fact that I was taking advantage of or anything like that. It was just like they were disappointed in me. I'm like, what? I was on vacation. I'm sorry for trying to relax, everybody. And so uh, anyway, I lived there for a couple of months and uh, did my best to be gone at night when they were home and there during the day when they weren't. So I avoided them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I met a girl that I had actually dated for five years back in the, the, the like through Facebook, actually, I, I met her and. And uh, we ended up dating for another three years and ended up getting married. And and during that time, I worked at a mortgage bank. I got like two two months after I got out, I got a job at a, <clears throat> the, the largest mortgage bank in Texas. Now, you have to remember in 2008, uh, Obama was elected. The market crashed, right? Yeah. Everybody was all mad at Bush. And then mm-hmm. Obama had to take it over. And they restricted the financial markets because they yeah. were mad at them and all that stuff. And and it was just a terrible time to be in the mortgage business. As a matter of fact, while I was locked up, some of my friends had killed themselves and things of that nature. And so, you know, I get out and the one thing I didn't have was like debt or, you know, a, a fuck to give. I really didn't. You know, right. I had nothing. So, like, what are you going to do? I just came from the worst scenario that I could possibly imagine being inside. of. like, what are you going to do to me, world? What else you got? I'm pretty sure you just hit me with your best shot and I'm still standing. So, what, what else are you going to do to me? And so... I go and I get a job at the mortgage bank, and the, the com- competition in me kicks in. Within three months of working there, I'm the number one guy. I'm closing 30 deals a month. You know, hmm. On a bad month, we're closing 20. And the worst time in history. And you sent me a deal from the Scotsman Guide earlier, uh, and those guys closed like, you know, I closed 183 loans in 2009 with no pipeline, coming from scratch, fresh out of prison. And you showed me that some of the guys on there closed like 1,100 uh, loans that year, which is awesome. However, they did that with a team of like 50 loan officers. I did all this by myself. I didn't have money to hire anybody. I was lucky to get a job at the at the the mortgage brokers that I did. They really didn't like me. They were betting on me to lose. They were kind of pissed that I closed the general manager on even giving me a job there in the first place. You know what I mean? And so it wasn't like I was a, a, an appreciated top producer there. It's like, oh man, dude, the face of our company is this two-time felon guy, but he's making us a lot of money, but like we're kind of in a jam. What, what's what's your secret though? I mean, you, you sold 183 mortgages in 2009 when most people, most even the best, don't sell that much in their lifetime. What what are your like pe- for people listening to this going, "Oh my goodness, how's he What what are your tips for selling? What how do you sell so well? Well, you know, I never really look at things like selling. So the weird thing about loans that I got good at was because I worked at the car wash all those years. And I really, I run everything like this these days. But since I worked at the car wash for my stepdad from like age eight until, you know, I left to go to the mortgage business in 2002 or three. And a car wash is an assembly line. They come in one spot, this happens, they go to the next spot, this happens, they go to the next spot. It's like a literal assembly line. So I ran the mortgage business like an assembly line. I created a process. It's like in comes a loan app and it goes to this. And so I knew every step of the way exactly what needed to be done. So it was easy for me to manage a pipeline. Meanwhile, I, I'm always a uh, – I'm a confident person, so if I'm on the phone with you and I'm telling you I have the best deal and I can use Google and other places to show you why I have the best deal, it's kind of a uh, an easy sell for me. And it's not that we were the cheapest, 
But I was a sure thing. Like I would tell people, hey, if you bet on me, I'm going to make sure that you close on time, that the money's there, the exact money that you need. There's no hiccups. We'll be able to go through this smooth. And I'm just – I can be a very convincing person without having to be aggressive or pushy or whatever. But just like me and you sitting here talking, you're like, this is a ridiculous story, Daniel. Do you realize you're reading like what could be like one of the greatest works of fiction ever? And I could be totally making all this up, but I seem confident. And you're like, yeah, man, but it's an unbelievable story, but you believe it. So it's the same thing with selling with me. I just happen to be a a very convincing guy because I believe what I'm saying. I've experienced it. Right. You know, like when someone comes to me and they they ask me a scenario about their loan, we're looking for your interest rate. Now I look at their deal. It's like, hey, here's the experience that I've been through. I just closed somebody just like you last week in this situation. And if you don't do this, you're going to miss out and they can't do it over there. Right. You know what I, I just use my experience to be convincing. You you know what I I do now as a sales trainer. The reason why I know is because I've closed a thousand sales in the last two weeks. That qualifies me as an expert. And like literally we've sold 1300, uh, we've made 1300 sales in the last two and a half weeks. That qualifies me as an expert. If I want to talk about internet marketing and give you my experiences, I'm well qualified and convincing to do so. You know, you know what I think the difference between you and most people are? That I'm crazy and no. I don't take medicine. I refuse to take medicine, Daniel. I refuse it. <laughs> expectations. One word, expectations. I think that you don't expect anything. And everybody no, else. That's very true. And everybody else does. Everybody else expects things to come easy. And if it doesn't come easy, if there's not a yes on the first try or the second try or, God forbid, the fifth try, they give up. Because they expect well, it to just life. come. Right. But Think you, about, that's, that's my life as right. a whole, not just the sales process, but me as a whole. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. That you don't yeah. expect anything. Like you, you put your philosophy pretty much, and, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, is that nothing is going to come to me unless I literally grab it. It's just yeah. not going to come. I have to work for it. I have to push. Like you did everything differently to everybody else because you didn't sit there and wait for leads to come in your lap. You went out and started doing deals with people and telling people, I'll give you you know, kickback. I'll give you money back. You started getting creative because you're just like, why should I wait for people to come to me when I can go and make it happen? And the rest of the world sits there and like puts their hands out and goes, Where's the money? Why why isn't it why isn't it raining money? Right? You gotta go and you gotta go and hustle. You gotta get out there and do something. And that's the problem. I think the problem with our generation in general is just that everybody's like born thinking that they're just gonna get a gold stick. Like it just doesn't work that way. And unfortunately well, you know, it took you know. I've it took never wh- been able to do anything my entire life the easy way is is you as evidenced in the story that I just shared with you. And so I don't expect anything to come easy to me. Uh, Even today, we run what we call a bulletproof business, Daniel. Uh, I don't have any governing body other than the IRS, no boss. I don't have – if I don't want to work with you, I don't have to. Uh, I get to say what I want. I get to be who I really am. I get to write books about the things that I want to. And if people have bad things to say about me, my skin's so thick at this point because I told you I have been in the pits of hell. So anything happening here in heaven doesn't even affect me in the slightest. Mm -hmm. And – you know, it's, it's really made it to where I am who I am, but here's, here's the thing, you know, and, and the thing that matters the most is I had to go through all of this, Daniel. It wasn't a, a, it's, it's been a lifelong test. I had to do it without help. I had to do it by myself. 
Because now when I share my experience with one of my clients that pays a ton of money to work with me, when I step on stage in front of thousands of people and they and I have to command the, the attention of that audience, my story out of all the motivational speakers, all the sales trainers, all the marketing guys, nobody has the story that I just told you. Nobody has a fraction of that story. And one of the things that I just shared with you out of hundreds that have happened in that story would have devastated a lot of people. And I needed to go through that and be strong enough to come out on the other end to where I can stand up and show people like the people in your audience that no matter what kind of shit you're going through right now, if you'll just keep going, it gets better on the other side. But if you quit and you choose to stay in the shit where you've decided to stay, it will never improve. And I'm proof that if you just keep going and choose not to give up, then in 2016, this year, we did multiple millions of dollars in sales. I have a organization that sells thousands of products in weeks time. We have helped 4,000 people this year improve their life. We have a tribe of 85 people who are at least investing $2,500 a month to work with us and our teams and everything else. We have built a movement and a cult-like following of people who are say, if Ryan can do this stuff, he's inspired me enough to where I want to do that in my life too. And I had to go through those things, Daniel. I suffered and had to go through those things in order to be who I am today, to be able to show up for the people like you and those in your audience that need to hear it. It's incredibly inspiring. Well, you've put together something called the Break Free Academy. What is that? Um, so Break Free Academy is a, it started off as a real small seminar. It was supposed to be for like four or five people, but now there's usually, you know, 50 to 75 people, 77 at our last one actually. And, um, and it's actually taken off a lot more than I, I expected. So it started off as just a small event. Where we teach people marketing and sales and, uh, you know, how to like, basically they would come for two days and day one, they would learn how all this stuff works. Day two, they would do everything they learned at day one. So the idea is you come with nothing, you leave with the website ads running and generating leads. We would have races to like who gets the first lead and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we turned it to an online course as well. So we, we, you know, once you get the 70 people paying $5,000 a piece to come to the program, it's a little packed and gets a little wow. bit uh, thin on your attention. So I didn't want to grow it further uh, as far as the individual events. So we created an online university and uh, we charged $2,000 a ticket <clears throat> to the online university, and we've sold uh, hundreds and hundreds, I think 700 of those so far wow. uh, this year, and of people on that. And it got, strangely enough, the online university got too big to where we now have something called Break Free Academy Entourage, which is $297 a month where you have access to that and some other stuff that we do. So we've now the next phase, I was just talking to my sales team this morning because we do our Monday, like before you get to work stuff. And we are in the process of actually creating an actual brick and mortar online academy where people just are a break free academy to where people, they, it's like a, a true academy for marketing and sales where you can go online, you can come to a seminar or you can actually go through and attend the academy. So I'm actually making this about something way bigger than just me and sales and a hardcore closer. I want break free academy to be a place where if somebody comes to you, Daniel, and they want a job selling whatever it is that you sell or that you need them to sell, and they say, hey, I graduated from Break Free Academy, you're like, oh, dude, well, you're ahead of everybody else because you've been trained by those guys. Right. <clears throat> and that's my vision for, for the future is to have a full-blown, well-recognized uh, academy that trains marketing and sales professionals on how to provide uh, for corporations out there. And if, if somebody wants to join or sign up to the Break Free Academy, how do they do that? 
Uh, you can go to uh, breakfreeacademy.com forward slash entourage. That'd be your best bet. Entourage. Breakfreeacademy.com forward slash entourage. Well, that, that'll be linked up in my show notes. So if uh, those listening go to danielgeffen.com forward slash 55, um, the links will be there. Also, you recently published a book called Elevator to the Top. Every, everything you need to know about sales. In fact, it's so popular that Batman bought a copy online. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, so uh, we have we have sold a, a whole bunch of those, man. It's like sixteen. It's been a bestseller in like sixteen lists. Uh, if, it's it's all about sales. For those of you listening, if you if you want to hear my entire story, I have a book on Amazon called Hardcore Closer, and uh, it's like my entire biography and uh, a little bit more details. Probably four hour read. Wow. And uh, it's a great book for ten bucks. And uh, but Elevator to the Top, you can actually get it for free. I'll I'll mail you the paper paperback we have like a free if you just pay for the stamps uh portion of it you can go to elevator to the top.com and uh, you can just enter your information and i think it's seven bucks in stamps or whatever and we'll send it out to you uh, and someone recently signed like bought a copy and called themselves batman is that right oh yeah that's true that's right someone <laughs> did that was on a uh, friday i woke up and i was like dude batman just bought oh bruce wayne now the trump's out of the equation Bruce Wayne's going to try to buy up some of that Gotham City real estate, you know what I mean? Right. I like to get very practical. So just before we we, we, uh, we sign off here, Ryan, um, can you share some tips on closing sales for, for those listening? What are your three top tips for how to close a sale? Uh, number one, the less you speak, the more you make. And oftentimes salespeople think they have to talk their way into a sale you will listen your way into more sales than you will ever talk your way into. So if, you, if you're the person that talks the most, you have the most to lose. So you want to get the prospect talking, which brings us to number two. The next thing that you need to do is ask questions. The only way that you're going to get the prospect talking to where they can talk more than you is by asking them questions. And learn the correct questions to ask is important, but ask open-ended questions. Get them to talking. You can't say, Hey, Daniel, do you like cats or dogs? You say, hey, Daniel, what kind of animals do you like? Right? Let Daniel, Daniel start listing off as many as he wants. That way he's talking more. That way you're getting more facts from him, being able to close them. And number three is sell with low expectations and deliver uh, way and uh, above and beyond they could have ever expected in the best case scenario. So I like to you know, convince people that this is the, the – I like to sell people on the worst possible scenario and set reality expectations and that never happens. But I know that if I can sell somebody on the expectation of it being okay and mediocre, then when they receive this above and beyond and totally awesome thing, then they'll be 10 times more ecstatic because it wasn't what they expected. Amazing. And what, what's the best way for my listeners to get in touch with you? Uh, probably the coolest way would be clyxo.com forward slash closer. And I'm on all sorts of social media channels. So I own the company Click. So it's like a social media bookmark. Uh, but it's clyxo.com forward slash closer. And you can see all my social media channels and follow me or connect with me wherever you want on there. So that'll save us from me giving you a bunch of different handles to track me down on. Very cool. And again, those, all those will be in the show notes. And uh, also, uh, Ryan, I believe, is in our Facebook group. And if he's not, I'll add him in there. So if you want to pick his brain, just head over to uh, my Facebook group, which is Can I Pick Your Brain? So just type into Facebook, Can I Pick Your Brain? You'll find the group. Um, it's a private group. So if you're a listener and you want to get added, I'll add you there. And you can 
ask uh, Ryan any questions you like. Ryan, this has been incredibly inspiring. Thank you so much for letting me pick your brain. Thank you to all my fellow brain pickers. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.